Welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. We're happy to have you with us this week. This week we're going to talk about some facts about producers from the USDA. Uh, we're going to talk about some listener questions about small producers and, wh and where are they going toward the future. Also look at some interesting numbers on what's the farmer's share when either produce or meat is sold to the consumer. And finally we'll wrap up with some, some tips on working calves and, and the heat and how we manage the heat as we go through. I'm joined today by Dustin Pindell and Bob Weber. Morning, guys. Hey, what's Good up? Morning, Bob. So, Bob we're, <laughs> so we're glad to have Dr. Weber back. He's been gone for uh, a couple, couple weeks. weeks, and you were at a junior national show yeah, and went to BIF. Yep, it's been a busy couple weeks. Uh, yeah, BIF in Colorado and uh, Hereford Junior Nationals with the kiddos and uh, fam in uh in Nebraska, Grand Island. So Excellent. fun times. Glad to be back at work. Two We're, weeks gone. Uh, the email flow is unbelievable. So. <laughs> well, it's good, to, good, to, good to have you back as you come in. At any time, as as you think of an idea or topic, and we appreciate you listening. If you have a topic you'd like us to address or a question, you can email us at bci at ksu.edu. But I wanted to jump in this morning, Dustin. You came across some numbers and. We've both been in conferences uh, recently, two separate conferences, where somebody brought up the age of beef producers and how that's changing. And you looked up actually some numbers. Yes. So a lot of times when you go to uh, any conference, workshop, wherever, and it's always, hey, this is the average age of a producer and they're, it's really, they're getting older. We've got to do something because everything's going to come crashing down. So I went out, did some research, looked at the past census, uh, USDA census, which is done every five years, taking a look back to uh, 1900 to kind of look at the average age and also the distribution. And so one thing, uh, got some questions for you guys to, to see, test your knowledge on the uh, average age of producers. So dun, dun, dun. we're just going to go back to 1978, which is a great year because that was the year I was born. Um, <laughs> so 40 years ago, actually. So what is the average age of a producer? In 1978? I'm going to say 59.3. 59.3? I'm going to say 56.5. 56.5. All right, before I give you the answer, I want to ask a couple more questions and we'll, because this will condition you and you'll basically know the other responses. So, what is it in 2012? The meetings you've been at recently, do you recall? 2012 was six well, years ago. That was, was the last time the census. Okay. Uh, last time the census has been reported. That's where I pulled my other number from. I think it was around 59. So I'm, uh, I'm going to stick with that. Okay, 59. I'm going to say 63. So you're saying it increased over that the producers are getting older yeah. over time. Average and I'm saying they're staying about the same. Well, Brad is closer to the number, but Bob is right. Is it is increasing across time age. And so in 2012, the USDA winners. census... Yeah. <laughs> You both get participation we both. medals. <laughs> uh, so it's 58.3 is the average age of a producer in 2012, according to the Ag Census. If we go back to 1978, 40 years ago, it was 50.3. 50.3. So it's going up eight years. It's going up eight years. And if you take a look at back in 2007, 2002, 2000, or 1997, it's averaging about two, two and a half percent every five years. It increases. It increases, yeah. And if you go back even further, uh, back to, let me just pull the numbers real quick here, to like 1900. Uh, How does 
does how does that line up with the the change in in average life expectancy of Americans? It's probably pretty parallel. I would no, guess. that'd be more. That's a, that's a pretty good increase. That's a pretty good increase. Eight years over that that forty year period. That's more than life expectancy has increased over oh, that yeah, time. Yeah, no, I definitely. I don't. I don't know what the number is off the top of my head, but however, yeah. I, I would wonder how that aligns with the number of people in ag. So there are, are potentially there fewer, are fewer yeah. people in ag, and those operations are getting bigger as a whole. Yeah. Which so would which have would the advantage to do that are typically older landholders potentially yep. so. more equity. Yeah. That, so one other comment I want to make is it's 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 getting yes the numbers going up the average age is going up across time but what's interesting is actually the distribution so if you can look at the distribution of people who are 65 and older from 1978 to compare that to 2012 it's went from uh, 20% less than 20% 18% in 1978 are 65 and older compare that to today to about maybe 70 75% so say, say or, that sorry again. sorry 25% 18% of producers in 1978 were 65 and older. Okay. You compare that to today or 2012 numbers, and it's probably pushing 75 or 25%. 25% so or 65. More and more producers are getting older. And then so about you, a 7% increase in the 65 and right. older category. And then if you look at the uh, 55 to 65 age category, that's also getting a little bigger. Where it's getting smaller is the young producers, the people who would be entering into it, and that's the uh, under 25 35, 25 to 34, and even the uh, 35 to 44 categories getting smaller. So, so really, it's a distribution that's really interesting is older producers are getting older or they're staying in a lot longer, uh, which raises the question, why is that? We just talk, you, I mean, you just asked that question effectively, why is that? And then also, I think that has implications for farm size, which we, you just mentioned that as well. Yeah, and I think that w- one of the questions on the and it may be more interesting to think about on the younger side that actually, so we could say we're having more older producers or we're having fewer younger producers right. and people entering in. And the entrance cost, depending on what segment of ag that you're talking about, can be quite high and it can be quite challenging to get into yeah. ag, especially yeah. we talk about beef cows a lot. I mean, there's right. land costs, cow costs, all those things. Yeah. In the last few years, if you wanted to enter into beef cows, challenging. Yeah, big, big barrier to entry. Yep. So, well, and, and so, so should we worry about that? Is that, is that something that, because at the meetings I've seen it, they say, well, average producers are getting older and this is something we should be concerned about. Is this, is this a concern or? I mean, there's going to be some, definitely some transition, I think, as some of these guys exit, but I don't know that it's nothing that we won't handle. We can't handle. I, I, yeah. I, I think you, as they retire and exit the industry, I think you'll continue to see fewer and fewer. Op- I mean, there's not. When one retires, you're not going to have a new one enter, I don't yeah. think. I think what's going to happen is these individuals who are older, who probably have larger farms, will then be purchased by maybe a mid-age. Yeah. And so they continue to get bigger. But I don't think you're going to see a one retires, one enters. I think it's just going to be fewer producers. And I think farm sizes are going to continue to get bigger, which More is what co- the trends we've yeah. been seeing. More consolidation. And, and I think what's interesting there, and one of the take-homes is – The average age of producers, when you look from 78 to 2012, based on the census, has gone up from about 50 to 58. So that's a, that's an interesting, and that is it, that is an increase. The other other question or the offshoot, and as we talk about consolidation, so there are about 725,000 cow-calf producers in the U.S. 
many of those producers have operations that that have a relatively small herd size. So we got a question from our one of our listeners saying, "What's the forecast for these small producers?" And and Dustin, you just said maybe more consolidation. Do you, do you think that's going to hold true? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, no, I think we'll continue. I mean, that's what the trends have been. We've seen fewer and fewer operations. I'm, it'd be interesting to see how many cow calf beef producers there were back in 1978. I assume there's a lot more. Yeah, uh, I, I think there were, and I think we could probably pull. We could probably figure we could pull yeah. those numbers and look at that. One of the interesting things, though, and, and we look at those smaller. Or what do you think, Bob? Before I give my, uh, I think you know the, the the trend's clear that the the number of small producers is is probably decreasing, or the age is decreasing. Um, sorry, the percentage of young producers is decreasing. That's what I'm trying to get at. But, um, and many of those might be kind of the smaller entrance into the, into the business. So they start with 20 or 30 cows. Um, and certainly you look through demographically uh, or geographically, um, you know, the South and Southeast has lots of small acreage. And so in, in some areas, those small producers make a lot of sense just because of, of land use and land availability. So, But you also, the ratio of cows per acre of grass that you run is different in that part of the country. Right. So you don't need as many acres. It's not like in the southwest part of the country where it's 1 to 80, yeah. 1 cow per 80 acres. There, you may be at 1 to 1, 1 cow-calf pair per acre. So yeah, so doesn't take 40 or an 80, you can run... 40, 50 cows, and all of a sudden you're not a small producer anymore, right? So, yeah, that's right. And, and I think, and, and I agree there will be some consolidation, but I also think uh, that is another vehicle for land use in many areas of the country, and we're still going to have those parcels of land that that makes a lot of sense. So I think there's a place for those smaller producers, but I also think uh, that is an area of opportunity for them to still work to capitalize for efficiency. So a lot of us, and, and even those of us sitting in this room, would fall into that small producer category where we've got a few, yeah. and you got to figure out how to make that efficient and make it work in the system. Is that? It, what do you think from an economic standpoint? Is that there's still going to be some viability there, oh. or are we going to become vertically integrated like some of our other? No, and I don't think we will. I think the the beef industry is enough independent, if you will, that you're always going to have. So growing up, we had, I don't know, 20 cows or so. And mom and dad both worked off farm, and that was just a hobby, I guess, if you will. Basically keep me, my brother, and both my sisters fully employed before school, after school, and during the summer. Yeah. Uh, and so I think there will always be that opportunity there. And I think maybe they're not, that's not, that's not going to be the income provider. I mean, that's more of a, whether it's introducing, you know, work habits to your uh, children or, just a side business that maybe there are so you do make a little bit of money from it, but I think there'll always be those opportunities for people who a just it's a hobby or b maybe it's a way to get into the industry. You start off with like you're saying twenty head, and that allows you to continue to grow uh, over time. Well, and even with those those operations, you can figure out what makes sense, but determining what you want it's not the same for everybody so what you want to produce how you want to produce it what type of product that you that you're putting out but you're still it, a large part of our industry falls into that category so i think it's something that's important to address as as we go through and i think the forecast is good for small producers that do well at their job and maintain efficiency i don't think it's as good for small producers that aren't paying attention to larger industry trends what, what oh, i think you're, i think you're right i think the, the, one of the biggest challenges for 
small producers is just cost containment. I know we've got a few a few cows, and I look sometimes at you know the the amount of overhead stuff that you have to have to run twenty cows isn't materially different than if you had fifty cows, yeah. and so that makes the the cost per cow for those non feed cost things pretty expensive. The other piece is though the feed cost, right? So um, you know if you're in the the convenience driven sort of feed acquisition. You probably don't seek out a lot of commodity byproducts or um, other sources of feedstuffs that are markedly less expensive than um, you know, some of the alternatives you can buy out but, on the open but market. More labor, but more, more labor-intensive, labor right? And so you've got to have the ability to store them, which yep. if you've got just a few cows, buying a semi-load so of semi feed is... distillers probably doesn't make a lot of sense. That's right. Yeah, that so. makes sense. So speaking uh, of, you, you talked about overhead, and so one of the things, and, and Dustin found this, and, and was looking at what's the difference between the consumer price and the farmer's share, and they used the example of a burger, is what you saw. Right. So, of course, we get all our news from Facebook, so I happened to be on <laughs> Facebook, had somebody, noticed somebody posted something, uh, it come out of the National Farmers Union, uh, right around the 4th of July, and it, it, it they had a picture of a burger with all the different, you know, lettuce, tomatoes, onions, bun, cheese, etc. And they had, okay, here's what a consumer pays, and here's what the farmer share, or here's what that retail dollar that would go back, get back to the farmer. And so, so I did a little bit of di digging a little deeper into this, and a uh, question I have for you guys is, what's on average, just all come on, all agriculture products, on average, what percent, or for every dollar spent at the retail level for, for uh, at-home food expenditures, how much of that gets back to a producer? On average across all commodities? Yep, so we'll take grains, meat products, fruits, vegetables. I'm gonna say 50, 55%. 55, so 55 cents on the dollar. 55 cents on the dollar comes okay. back to the farmer. Uh, I'm going to say 27 cents on the dollar. 27. It was 14.8 uh, according to the USDA Economic Research Service in, I think, 2016. So 14.8% or 14, almost 15 cents gets back to the producer. Okay. And so the farmer's share, uh, what we're talking about, I'll just define it here so for you. So we were both way high. Way high. But but just to point out, Bob was Bob closer. Was closer. <laughs> I'm seeing By a trend. Of over fifty percent. I'm seeing a trend every week. Bob's the one that gets this right. Uh, so a farmer's share of the retail dollar is just a statistic that represents the uh, value of raw agriculture commodities as a portion of the consumer's at-home food expenditures. And so that's what we're talking about. And reason I wanted to just bring it up, and I saw this, is some of the comments. It is probably one of the most widely misunderstood, misquoted statistic because people take that as welfare to the producer, you know, because only 14 cents on every dollar is going back to the producer, you know, the producers are getting screwed. And so some of the comments on Facebook basically came back that said, we need to cut out all the Where's the rest of the dollar? Where are the rest well, they basically the said, we need to cut out the middleman. Yeah. Well, there's nothing saying a producer can't do that, right? They can market all that themselves if they want. You know, called farmers markets or direct marketing. 
But then you have, then you actually though incur some of the other costs. That you occur, would, you right? would. So as you, yep. it's not even if you captured a higher percent of the dollar, if that's associated with more costs because you market it or you owned the cattle longer. I mean, so in the case of cutting out the middleman, I could also feed them all the way out, go direct to consumer, but then I have more costs associated with it. Correct. No, absolutely right. So is this is this the same across all commodities? Or that's a good good question. Uh, the answer is no. Some commodities obviously get a lot larger farmer share versus others. Which commodities do you think might have a larger uh, that dollar going back to the producer? I think beef. Because beef. Of, yeah, because okay. of the time. And and my thought there is the time that it takes to bring a calf so on the cow calf side we've got a long gestation period we've got a long period before weaning so there's a lot of time he spends on the farm so my logic is beef but following the pattern weber's probably <laughs> got I'm the gonna right say, i'm gonna say um products that are minimally processed probably capture more of the retail dollar than ones that are extensively processed exactly no you're exactly right so you think about think about <laughs> it an egg, so an egg for example I don't know what the farmer share is, but I would ex expect it to be pretty high. Actually, beef is, um, you know, last time I checked, which is a few years back, I want to say it was 45 to 50%, 45, 50 cents. So it's, it's still pretty high compared to... Which is say, very close to my original guess. It should be noted. Now, if you noted. compare that to like a <laughs> uh, bread, for example, right? There's a lot of other products. There's a lot of processing, a lot of value added that goes into making bread. So the the... the pennies that probably get back to a wheat producer. Compare that to an egg producer, as an example. So it's probably gonna, it's gonna depend on uh, how much processing, you know, how perishable the product is, stuff like that. Yeah. And who, who bears storage costs, and, yeah, loss and shrink. And, yeah. So, so back to, to, and tying these three topics together that we've talked about today, we talked about the the demographics and the changing and the, that our producers in the beef industry are getting older and we're having potentially less younger people coming in and part of that's consolidation. We talked about small producers and that there is a role if they're doing things efficiently and part of that efficiency may be not necessarily capturing more of that chain but looking at ways to to be efficient as you go through the process. Because if you're only getting a, a relatively small share of that dollar, it's okay because there's other costs and things added, but make sure you're efficient and understand what what price we're getting there. The, the other topic that I, that I wanted to hit on, and, and uh, I'll tell you guys, uh, one of the things that we've seen recently, it's, it's been really hot, thinking about working calves, when is the right time to do it? And I, I can tell you, so uh, I'll tell you a story about so yesterday had one calf he needed tagged I thought well we can just tag him it won't take very long it didn't take very long for them to get hot about 30 seconds and when it's in this type of heat it just we just can't do very much with the calves at this time of year is there a good time to work it is it too hot should we should we put off any processing that we need to do yeah I think uh, Brad your, your point's really good and it's um, um, certainly heat strain on on calves and, and cows both can be a, a big deal this time of year and you know really anytime we've got you know temperatures you know in the 90s um, we need to think about you know the, the time of day and, and and when we're gonna do it so you know looking forward on the um, forecast and picking a day where we have cooler temperatures or projected uh, overcast skies and some shade um, can really help the other things 
um, time of day, right? Yeah. So I know uh, a fair number when I was in, in Missouri, there'd be a lot of producers that had sizable numbers to process would actually start that exercise at three or four in the morning. And Because that, that overnight that overnight cooling is important. And I think looking at the weather forecast for the day is important, but yeah. I also think looking at what the nighttime low is going to be because yeah, that it doesn't that, get under 70 was it 74 or 75 cattle don't have an opportunity to dissipate a large amount of heat and so and a lot of their heat dissipation occurs through breathing so as as we get them up if you have to gather them and you get them up so unlike us where we're breathing hard but we're also sweating and that's one of our cooling mechanisms cattle don't have that they're not going to sweat at, like we do they're mostly evaporating it through respiration and trying to get that cooling so if they're breathing hard and then we add stress to them it's hard hard to do it so early in the morning best time after after a cool night so we we appreciate you joining us today if there are other comments questions please send them to us at at bci at ksu.edu thanks for joining us on this bci cattle chat